Welcome to the True North Podcast. This podcast is about navigating through today's culture in the direction that lands at the heart of God. Let's go. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I won't be afraid. Because mm, you are all I want. You're all I want. You're all I need. You know, in order for us to say you're all I want and you're all I need, that means that we have to have an understanding that nothing else compares. Nothing else compares. You know, we live in, we live in a world where everybody, and we ourselves, we put, we put so many end-all, be-all titles and labels on things. You know, we put so many... Uh, I, I can't even think of the right word it is, but I'll just say the, the end-all, be-all clause. Ultimatums, there we go. But, you know, by singing that, we're, we're, we're literally declaring to God, hey, God, this is our ultimatum. It's either you or nothing. It's either you or bust. You know, that's one of the famous phrases in the sports world when a team drafts a high-value player, you know, We'll say, we'll say, you know, when the, you know, when the Lakers drafted LeBron James. Ugh. But they, but when they drafted him, they had this understanding of it's either you or bust. It's, you know, it's we go all in with you, or you know, we or we fail. And when we sing, you know, you're all I want. We're saying, Lord, it's either you or nothing. Lord, I I can't do this life without you. Lord, I can't be the parent that I need to be without you. I can't be the husband or the wife I need to be without you. I can't be the, Lord, I can't work, I can't get up and go to work in the morning without you. Lord, I can't, I can't put my hands to a steering wheel and drive a car without you. I can't, I can't tell my heart to beat. I can't tell the, the, the specific bones in my, in my spine to align in the right angles and degrees without you. Lord, I can't, I can't even proceed to take a step. You know, we've said it multiple times, but y'all know my verse at 1728, we live, we move, and your entire existence is found in Jesus, not outside of Jesus. Watch this. The scripture never said the moment that you accepted Jesus into your heart, then you lived and you moved and you, you're said, no, it says from the very beginning. So your whole entire life, well, Lindsay, you don't understand my life. My life has been ups and downs and my life has been inconsistent or there's there's great moments but then there's moments where I felt like I was by myself yeah well guess what you wasn't by yourself it may have felt like that but you weren't you have you may have experienced hurt there was something that happened the other day and I was like Lord it feels like I'm in this by myself and then and then the Holy Spirit reminded me and I was like but Lord I know I'm not I know I'm not in this by myself but also Lord you 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 have faced this too haven't you Lord, you know what it's like to want to give up and want to quit. And then I said, but Lord, just like you endured it all, 
I said, Jesus, whatever it takes to put in me to endure, just put that in me. Put, put whatever mechanisms, whatever ingredients it takes to, you know, I remember, let me say it best this way. I remember back when we lived in Florida, we, we used to do this thing called Pancake Saturdays. I love Pancake Saturdays. I miss Pancake Saturdays. We don't do Pancake Saturdays now because I'm working. But, uh, you know, and I would, I, would, I would make pancakes by scratch. And I remember when I first started, oh, it was rough. Them pancakes, you, they were in the pan. They came out of the pan, but they didn't look cakey. They, 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 they looked like pan roughers, or I don't, I don't even know what you want. You come up with your own title, but them pants, they weren't even puffy. <laughs> they, uh, not, not even Sean Combs puffy. Not even, they, they probably dark like it. But anyways, it's all good. They, they, they didn't look the greatest. And, uh, you know, I try, I, I try this version, try this version, try, I'm like, well, maybe it's the batter, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And finally, when I thought I had them good, you know, I'm like, okay, well, these are consistent, you know, it could get better or whatever. And I remember, uh, you know, back then I was still allergic to Ed's, and I was like, ah, oh, man, I wish I could put Ed's in this because it just won't work. And finally, one time I was Googling, I was like, there's got to be some egg alternative. And, I, you know, Google research, and I found buttermilk. I was like, I remember the first time I poured some buttermilk in that, in that batter, threw it on the skillet, woo! It changed everything. I was like, oh, this is the ingredient. This is the stuff right here. We'll, ha we'll have batter at the house, and there's been times where I've been blessed to be off on Saturday, and I'm like, oh, we're gonna do pancakes. And it, the one, I don't even go to look and see if we got batter. I go to look and see if we got buttermilk. If we ain't got buttermilk, hey, Dre, are you out? Go pick up some buttermilk. Don't matter what's going, it could be, it could be 9.49 at night, and I'm like, hey, the boys, we got the boys laying down. Kelsey, I'll be back. I got to go get the buttermilk. Why? Because the buttermilk is the ingredient that changes all things. Listen, church, Jesus is the, and, he, and to, to sum him up as an ingredient does him a disservice. But I need you to get this analogy. He is the one variable in your life that changes everything. He's the one variable. He's the one that we talked about it last week. He is the one that can, that can help you get through. He's the one that can help you navigate through the most painful moments of your life. He's the one that can show you how to navigate through the most, uh, the most awesome, uh, you know, the, the best, the most bliss moments of your life. But also, he's the one that can show you how to navigate through the most painful moments of your life. You know, today I want to talk about what defines you. What defines you? What defines you? What defines us? What defines this church? What defines this house? What defines you, the individual? You know, I want to I give this one big idea, and then we'll, we'll work from it. But if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then his love should be the only thing that defines you. That's, that's every, everything else we talk about goes off of that. But if your faith, if you place your firm persuasion, we said that word faith in the Greek, it's firm persuasion. It's like when you put your, it's like when you're gripping somebody's hand and you like you don't let go. That's what, that's what faith means. If you have made a, if you have firm persuasion in that Jesus is who he said he is, then the one thing that defines you is his love. It's not your money. It's not your ethnicity. It's not your 401k, it's not your education, it's not how many zeros you have in the bank, it's, it's, it's not your last name, it's not whether you have children or don't have children, it's not whether you're married or, or not married, it's not the house, cars, clothes, it's not, it's not material things. The one thing that defines, and that word define, all it means is explains who you totally are. So the one thing that explains who you truly are is the love of God. Amen. 
if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and then we'll skip to verses 14 through 17 in the Passion Translation. If not, it's all good. We'll put it on the screen. But remember, we're talking about what defines you. Somebody say, what defines me? Hallelujah. That is a question that if you haven't asked, you will ask at some point in your life multiple times. Paul says this in verse one. Paul, a loving and loyal servant of the anointed one, Jesus, he called me to be his apostle and set me apart with the mission to reveal God's wonderful gospel. Watch this in verse two. My commission is to preach the good news, yet it is not entirely new. But the fulfillment of my hope promised to us through the many prophecies found in the sacred scriptures. For the gospel, oh, this is good. For the gospel is all about God's son. As a man, he descended from David's royal lineage. But as the mighty son of God, he was raised from the dead and miraculously set apart with the display of triumphant power supplied by the spirit of holiness. And now Jesus is our Lord and our Messiah. Through him, a joy-producing grace cascaded into us, empowering us with the gift of apostleship so that we can win people from every nation into a faithful commitment to Jesus to bring honor to his name. And you are among the chosen ones who received the call to belong to Jesus, the anointed one. Now watch what Paul says in verse 14 through 17. Verse 1 through 6 was just building up a foundation. But verse 14 says, love, somebody say love. Love obligates me to preach to everyone, to those who are among the elite and those who are among the outcasts, to those who are wise and educated as well as to those who are foolish and unlearned. This is why I am so excited about coming to preach the wonderful message of Jesus to you in Rome. Verse 16 is very, it's very well known. You've probably heard it before, but Paul says, I refuse to be ashamed of sharing the wonderful message of God's liberating power unleashed in us through Christ. For I am thrilled to preach that everyone who believes is saved, the Jew first, and then people everywhere. This gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness, a perfect righteousness given to us when we believe, and it moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. This is what the scripture means when it says, we are right with God through life-given faith. Somebody says, I am right with God. Now, we talked about that phrase before. We won't really get into it, but I love how Paul says that we, somebody say me. me. If you place your trust and confidence in Jesus, and guess what? What he did at the cross has made you right with him. Made you right. That means there's, there's nothing that separates you from his love. There's no beef between you and him. You know, you ever had a disagreement with somebody to where, like, you know, it's just, it's just tension. It's that underlying tension. It's that underlying awkwardness. You don't know what to do when they're in the room. They don't know what to do when you're in the room. All that stuff, it could be co-working, family, or whatever it is. That's not the case between you and God. Verse 17, Paul said that we are right with him. Amen? Amen. I remember when I was a kid, <clears throat> I, still like, I still like superheroes now, yes. But when I was a kid, you know, um, Bitstar, I remember whenever we go to Bitstar, we didn't go to Bitstar much because we always went to E.W. James or, uh, or Piggly Wiggly. But I definitely date myself. But um, Bitstar, back when it was Bitstar, um, yeah, Jerry was around for Bitstar. I couldn't remember if it was Food Giant after you came about or not. I don't think it was. But back when it was that, that weird color blue, you know, that weird color blue and the weird color browns where you couldn't tell if it was brown. It's like 
was it tan or it was something. It was it was something on the color chart. But I remember we would go there when I was a kid, and they had this big magazine rack. And on the magazine rack, and this was the only place in town, Dre. This is the only place in town that you can go get um, comic books because Walmart didn't sell them, E.W. James didn't sell them, or you had to drive to Jackson. And, you know, we weren't driving to Jackson. I was a little kid then. And I remember when we go to Bitstar, you know, mom go down the produce aisle and go down through the vegetables. And the, and the, uh, the deal was if I was good, if I was patient, didn't do anything crazy, then as she's looking throughout the rest of the store, I could go by the magazine rack and look at the comic books. I, yeah, I could look at them. And, you know, if I was, you know, if, if everything worked out, then I get to pick one. But I remember uh, the first, my, my very first one was, uh, it was this book by, uh, with this hero called Green Arrow. And I loved Green Arrow. I just, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. Green Arrow, all he, he was a superhero that just literally had a bow and arrow. But he just fight crime with a bow and arrow. And I'd just be at the magazine rack, you know, just like, oh. You know, and I, I just I just love this thing. And, you know, the, the as, as great as in my mind as he was and even to this day, I'm, he's all right. You know, you know, I'm Hawkeye. Hawkeye. I relate more to Hawkeye because he's a you know, he's a 30 year old dad. So I'm like, oh, me too. You know, you know, he has to put, you know, bag of frozen peas on his on his knees because, you know, he's tired of running. I'm like, me too, bro. Like, you know, get the ice pads out, get the Ben K, you know, knees born. Hey, you know, I, I can relate to that. But, you know, with. A green arrow at the end of the day, like he is just a man with a bow and arrow. So, you know, if you were to take away his bow and arrow, then, you know, he ain't got nothing left. He, you know, he is just a superhero with one tool. You know, he's not like Superman where Superman's got all these, you know, great, you know, then no shade to all the Superman fans. But, you know, Superman can fly, he can run, he can do all these different things. But Green Arrow just had this bow and arrow. So if you took that away from him, he was useless. Now, when it comes to the devil, the devil has one tool. One tool is as many, as many times that we feel him tripping us up, at the end of the day, it's just one tool that he has. One tool. You know what that tool is? That tool is called division. Somebody say division. division. With that one tool, that's what he uses to trip us up. That's what he uses to sow seeds of discord. That's what he uses to give us a false, uh, a distorted view of what we think, how we think church should be going, how we think our life should be going, how we think we should be parenting, how we think we should be uh, representing God on the job or representing how, how we think we should be living this life. It is division that he uses. With that one tool, he was able to, he was able to divide uh, Adam and Eve's understanding and belief and faith in the fact that God had created them in the image of himself. You know, with that, you know, centuries later, God came in the flesh and, and through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he redeemed us and reunified us back in the Pericresis Fellowship with the Trinity. But once again, Satan has his one tool called division. And without realizing it, instead of the church just being followers of the way, we have adopted the label of Christian. And, so, and Lindsay, what are, you, what are you getting at? Well, just to give you some history real quick, just, you know, to, to speed through it. But, you know, when originally the church, originally the original church, they were called followers of the way. And the, and the label Christian was actually an a insult by the Roman government and the Roman soldiers. They were like, oh, them Christians. And eventually we adopted it and made it and made it what it is today. But unfortunately, not only did we adopt that insult to become our label, then we divided our Christianity by ethnicity. So then we divided our Christianity by ethnicity. Then we divided it by denominations. Then we divided it by the parts of the Bible that we subscribe to or don't subscribe to. Then, unfortunately, we divided it by the style of worship and the style of dress that we have. 
And if that wasn't enough, then we divided it by regions where you are in locations. And, you know, you can only be part of this set in, in this region or this division or this part of the country. Unfortunately, we, we, if that wasn't enough, we divided our Christianity by denominations, by ethnicity, by parts of the Bible we subscribe to and don't subscribe to, by styles of worship, by styles of dress, by regions and locations, and then by political parties. Unfortunately, you get around some Christians and they're like, well, you can't, you, so you can't, brother, brother, you can't serve Jesus unless you vote Republican. Or you get around some people, Lindsay, you can't vote Jesus unless you vote, uh, you can't love Jesus unless you vote Democrat. Last time I checked, neither party was at the cross. Last time I checked, neither party was at the cross. Last time I checked, both parties are definitely flawed. Both parties are definitely flawed. And this isn't a political message, but I want you to see that at the end of the day, you cannot allow somebody else's opinion to define who you think God is. And unfortunately, as Christians, we've allowed the devil to even divide how we fully believe God or how we perceive God to be. You know, I've told this story before, and I, I love this story. I, I, I think it was maybe two years ago. It's crazy to think that we've been here that long. But <clears throat> of, the, of the Baptist pastor, do y'all, do y'all remember the story of the Baptist pastor? I'm so glad you don't. I'm going to tell it again because I love it. It's, it's a good one. But um, back in the day, there was this Baptist pastor, and there's no shot to Baptist or anything like that. It's just, it's just a story, okay? He's Baptist pastor. But there was, back in the day, there was a Baptist pastor. Wherever he would go preach, he would like to go to the town early, and he would like to walk and get an understanding, a, a beat on the pulse of the city, see what it was like, see what the people were like and all that stuff so he can better relate before he delivered a sermon. And one time, he, had a, he, uh, he got invited to go speak out in San Francisco. So he went, and before he went to the church, he went around the town early, and he's walking around the town. He's, he's taking all of it in. He's just mesmerized, and he gets to the Golden Gate Bridge, and he's walking. All of a sudden, he sees there's this guy standing on the bridge, on the edge of the bridge, about to jump. And instantly, the pastor, he reacts, says, hey, 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 hold on. What are you doing? What are you doing? And you know, the man is like, you know, he, he's standing there. He told him that, you know, you know the, the preacher or the pastor told him, like, hey, you, you don't have to do this. You don't have to throw your life away. And, you know, uh, when he told him that, you know, the, uh, the man replied, well, nobody loves me. And, and the preacher said, well, God loves you. Do you know, do you believe in God? And the man said, yes. And the preacher said, okay, well, that's, that's a good start. And then the preacher asked, you know, are you a Christian or are you a Jew? And the man said, well, well sir, I'm a, I, I'm a Christian. And the preacher said, wow, me too. That, that's good. That's good. We can relate. And the preacher then asked him, are you Protestant or Catholic? And the, the man replied, well, I'm a Protestant. And the preacher replied, me too. And, you know, the preacher's just shocked. He's like, man, you know, this, this, this guy's starting to sound more like me. And, you know, he said, are you Protestant or Catholic? And the guy said, I'm, pre- I'm Protestant. And the preacher said, me too. And the preacher then said, well, if you're a Protestant, what denomination are you? And the man said, Baptist. And the preacher was like, oh, my Lord. This is a Jehovah miracle. I'm Baptist as well. And the man's like, wow, really? He said, yes, I'm, I'm Baptist as well. And, and then the preacher, the preacher, you know, he, uh, he said, all right, now, now I have a question for you. If you're Christian and if you're Protestant, if you're Baptist, are you Northern Baptist? Or are you, or, or are you, are you Baptist with the great Jubilee? And, and, uh, and or he said, are you Northern Baptist or are you Southern Baptist? And the man said, well, I'm part of the Northern Baptist. And he said, with great jubilee, so am I. And then the preacher said, are you Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? 
And the man said, I'm Northern Liberal Baptist. And he, or he said, I'm North, Northern Conservative Baptist. And the preacher said, what are the odds, young sir? I am too. So then the preacher asked him, Northern Conservative Baptist of the Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist of the East region? And the man said, you know, I'm, I'm actually Northern Conservative Baptist of the Great Lakes region. And the preacher is just, he is floored. He said, I am too. What are the odds? And then the preacher asked him, Northern, <laughs> Northern Conservative Baptist of the Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist of the Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And the man said, Northern Conservative Baptist of the Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And the pastor yells, die, you heretic, and kicks him off the bridge. Ah. <laughs> uh. Oh, man. <laughs> I love that story. It's not real. Don't worry, people. No, he didn't. It's just to show us that as many bosses as we, as we find in common with people, unfortunately, we find that one, that one iota, that one, uh, that one little discrepancy, that one, oh, we're not like this in that area, you got to go. We can no longer associate. And unfortunately, the church has done that with the majority of the world. The majority of the world. When Jesus came into the earth, he didn't look for those that were already believing in him. The Bible says that he fellowshiped with tax collectors. He fellowshiped with, with, uh, with people that were caught in adultery. With people that, that were stealing and robbing money. People that were doing sinful things and Jesus came. So therefore, Jesus was doing the opposite of that story in that Baptist pastor. He wasn't saying, looking to say, okay, what bots do you check? Okay, we could get along now. Versus, hey, who are you? Let, let, me, let me just embrace you. And see, that's supposed to be the role of the church. All jokes aside, in this day and age, it's not enough for us just to say, you know, we follow the way of Jesus. But for some reason, uh, from a place of division, we have summed up everybody based on their ethnicity or based on their denomination or based on their political beliefs or whatever it is. See, every, every, every time I invite somebody to church, especially if it's a coworker, because I've been blessed to work at many different offices. I, sometimes I never know which office I'm working at each, each week. Dad's always like, hey, where are you working tomorrow? You know, it's a, it's a blessing when I can say the same, but sometimes to be here, be there. But, but anytime I ask somebody, anytime I invite somebody to go to church with me, they always ask me the same question. Never fails. It's, a, it's almost like, you know, everybody's in unison, but they always ask me the one same question. Well, Lindsay, is your church a black church or a white church? And, you know, I have to, I have to step back because if you, if you truly know me, I could be a sarcastic chocolate brother. And in my head, I answer them like, well, the walls are white outside and inside. So if you want to go by that, then, then you know, we got, you know, it's white wooded, you know, uh, the, the trees around it are brown. I mean, like, what, how, what are we, what are we being, but no, they always, I never answer that way, but they always say, but you know, I ask them, I invite them, hey, why don't you come to church with me? And they're always like, well, Lindsay, is your church a black church or a white church? By the way, I hope you're inviting people. Side note, sidebar, time out. I hope you're inviting people, not just because we want to see the place full, not just because we want to grow attendance, but because there are people that are hurting. There are people that are hurting. And I know your problems, and, and I don't know per se the problems that you are facing, but I can, I can surely, beyond a shadow of doubt, tell you that somebody else is going through something that is way worse than what you are, than what you are facing. Yesterday, and I'll get back to the, we'll get back into the, uh, into the direction that we're supposed to go. Now we're following the Lord. But yesterday I'm working, 
doing my route, and you know, I'm a little behind my, my personal goal. You know, if you're, you know, you might know people or you might be that type of person where you set personal goals within yourself. And within me, I set personal goals. I want to be on this part of my route by this time of the day. Da, da, da. I want to be, I have a, I have a record. I actually have a record and I was trying to beat it. And, you know, things just weren't going good. And I'm like, whatever, you know, da, da, da. So I'm kind of hard on myself. And I pull up in this one house because I had missed the box. And, you know, I'm like, well, I'll just turn around and, you know, because I, I had this goal of I never want to bring anything back and leave it for, you know, the next person to deliver so I, I turned around, and the, the homeowner is actually outside our home. And, you know, it's one of those homes that it's, it's it, you, you wonder if anybody lives in it. I mean, the roof is falling in. The, the porch is, is bowled up. Um, there's, that, there's actually, I, I've, I've joked, to, I think I was talking to somebody, but there's actually, um, there's a little family of, uh, of uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a little family of armadillos that live underneath the, uh, underneath the bottom of this trailer. I mean, it's, it's all, and, uh, but there's somebody that lives there. And I pull up in there. It's one of those places where you don't really want to get out because it's just like, you know, don't go there, man. And, you know, I pull up in there, and the lady comes out, and I was like, hey, you know, I actually have one letter for you. I'm so sorry. And uh, she just began to proceed to tell me about how her home had been broken in and everything had been gone. And she was just, she was just distraught and so upset and so sad. And instantly, it made, you know what happened? It made me realize that all the different things I was facing were nothing compared to what somebody else has gone through. And when I and after encountering her and talking with her and driving away, I'm like, Lord, or how can we help? How how could the church help? And I'm like, Lord, how 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 does how how does your people, how does your church, the church, capital C, all over, all of us, how do we help in moments like that? How do we help people? How do we how do how, how do we help? That's that's the only question I have, Lord. How do we help? How do we help? And one of the things he told me is you have to realize that your problem, yes, we all go through things. It's not belittling the things that you face, but you are not the only one. You are not the only one. And a lot of times what happens is when we get around somebody that's going through something that is worse than us, we, first off, we have appreciation for our lives. We have an appreciation for God. But if it's done right, then there is something that is stirred within our hearts to take action. And if it's done right, we shed, or not shed, we spread that same stirring within our hearts to somebody else in the church or somebody else that we know that can help make something happen. Amen. But understand this. Here's what this house is. We are neither a black nor a white church. We are the church. Somebody say the church. We are a multi-ethnic collective of imperfect people navigating through this life in, in, in pursuit of the perfect God. I'm going to say that again. We are a multi-ethnic collective. I love saying that. I can say it all day. Lindsay, what is a multi-ethnic collective? It means a group of people that is summed up through diversity. We are a diverse group of people that are imperfect. Hello? Oh, oh, hello, we are in, oh, Lord, we are imperfect. I, I can spend all day telling you how imperfect I am. We are a multi-ethnic collective of imperfect people navigating through this life. See, by saying navigator, we're, we're literally saying we don't have it all together. We don't know the direction we're going, but the direction that we are going is in pursuit of the perfect God. That means that everything that happens to us in life, we are choosing to say, okay, God, this is what's going on. I, I need you. You're all I want. You're all I need. No one else matters. No, no, uh, nobody else's opinion will take first place over your opinion, over your word, over your truth, over your hand in my life. We're navigating through this life in the direction that lands us at the heart of God. That sounds very familiar. 
So what's what, what what's wrong with saying that we're a black church or a white church or what's wrong with churches or Christians saying I'm a you know Asian church or Korean church? We I remember we lived in East Tennessee and that was my first time seeing Korean church. I was like, this is so cool. I wish I could you know go, but everything was in the language, so I didn't understand it. But it looked cool on the sign. It looked very cool. It was out in the stitch, though. I didn't understand that one. Yeah, the the sign looked nice. I didn't know what it said, but I'm like, Jesus somewhere in that, you know. But it's really cool. But what's wrong with that? Well, let me quote Dr. Tony Evans. If you've ever heard Dr. Tony Evans, then you know he is he's somebody not to play with. But Dr. Tony Evans, he says this, it is, and, and I'm 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 gonna trip you up this morning. So go and buckle up. I'm gonna trip you up because it trips me up over this. But it is linguistically incorrect for me, for myself, to call myself a black Christian. It's linguistically incorrect for you to call yourself a black or white Christian or Hispanic or Asian Christian because black and white, here's an English lesson, you ready? Because black and white becomes the adjective and it's the adjective's job to modify the noun. So if Christian is the noun and black or white or Hispanic or Asian or Korean or whatever it is, is the adjective, then the noun must conform to whatever the adjective says it is. And last time I checked, Jesus does not conform. We conform to him. Amen. Jesus doesn't conform to your traditions. That's why traditions don't work. Last 20 years, in this, just in this house alone, traditions don't work. Jesus doesn't conform to traditions. We conform to Jesus. Jesus doesn't conform to your opinions. Your opinions are renewed to reflect just like the mind of Christ. Jesus doesn't conform to your problems. Your problems are enhanced and modified and, and dissembled and disbarred and disrobed and taken care of and solidified in the power of Jesus. Jesus doesn't conform to us. We conform to him. So, so, it, so if we place Christian as the noun, then it's the, the noun's job to modify. This is an English lesson, simple English. The noun is modifiable, whatever the adjective says it is. And Dr. Dr. Tony Evans says the role of the noun is to receive definition. There's that word, define. The role of the noun is to receive definition from the adjective on what it's supposed to be. So therefore, Christianity must always be in the adjective position. And a person's ethnicity, tribe, color, creed must always be in the noun position. Why? Because the noun always looks like what the adjective says it is. Therefore, your humanity must be controlled by your Christianity. I'm going to say that again. Your humanity must be controlled by your Christianity. Therefore, I am a black man. Why? Because I live, move, and have my existence in Jesus. I don't live, move, and have my existence in Jesus because I'm a black man, 34-year-old, Hershey chocolate brown, tall glass of water. I don't know however you want to describe it. Compliments, throw them my way. I'll take them, but I won't, I won't build a life on them. But my humanity, our humanity must be controlled by our Christianity. The fact that we practice love is control is the, the reason we practice love is because we have faith in Jesus. The reason we practice patience is because we have faith in Jesus. The reason that we, we take the high road is because we have faith in Jesus. Let me say it better this way. We walk by faith, not by skin color. We walk by faith, not by tribe. We walk by faith, not by traditions. We walk by faith, not by opinions of others. We walk by faith, not by political party. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. We walk by faith. You know what walk by faith literally means? It means you take a step. How do you walk? You take a step. Every step you're taking, you are applying faith. You are, you are leaning on that firm persuasion that you have in God and say, okay, God, this step, I'm trusting you. 
Better yet, watch this. You're, when you're walking by faith, you're, before you even take your step, you're saying, okay, Lord, where are you at? Because if I don't send you, I'm, I, I'm just going to stay right here. We've said it before, but that's one of the things that made David so great. David heard from God, and he did not move until he heard from God. Even if that meant that it was months Days, weeks, or years later, still, what, what's the last thing God told him to do? Okay, he, he's, he was still doing that. Walking by faith literally means that every step you take, you're leaning on that firm persuasion. How do, how do I be a parent? Okay, Lord, show me how to be a parent as I, as I wake up in the morning and try to deal with these kids. Or how do I be a spouse? How, how do I live the single life? How do I be the right type of employee? How do I do my job? How do I, how do I, how do, how do I go to work and not let work overcome me? Okay, I'm leaning on that firm persuasion. How do I live my life at this stage of my life? How do I live my life at this age? Or how do I do this? How do I, I'm leaning on him. We walk by faith. Nothing else. Nothing else. Somebody say nothing else. That's why we're saying, you're all I want. You're all I need. Come wind, come rain. Any, 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 I heard that, baby. That's right. You better help me preach it. But anytime I think about that phrase, come wind and come rain, it's, I don't think this is what the artist meant when he wrote it. But I think about, this, I think about when they were all on the ship and it was storming. The wind and the rain, is, it's literally, the, the Bible says that they were in the boat. And this verse is, a storm came through. Kind of sounds like life. You're going through life. You're just living. You're, just, you know, you're trying to keep your head above water. And that's, you know, a storm comes through. And then that song it literally says, come wind and come rain. So no matter how big the storm is, no matter how much the, the bottom falls out, no matter how much trial and tribulation, no matter how big of the calamity that comes in my life, still, you are all, you're still all I want. Meaning that come wind and come rain, I'm not seeking any, I'm not, I'm not seeking any shelter without you. Oh, you know, you know, you, I'm, uh, you ever been out, you know, I remember as a kid, I would be out playing or whatever at K-Wood, playing on the playground. And when it comes, when the rain comes, you know, the teacher's like, get inside, get inside. You know, we're all running as a kid. It seemed worse than what it was, but we're like, ah trying to get into the shelter and I don't know if I don't know if they still have that that awning out there it's the playground across from the post office but when we were there they had this big little awning that you know the teachers would sit under while we all were out baking under the sun the teachers out there in the shade just like you know and we're like can we go inside they're like no you know so we're all cooking while they're all comfortable and stuff but when it come rain we all you know like duck under there or whatever and, you know, there were sometimes where, like, we would sneak, and this is how bad it was. That No shot to them teachers, but this is how bad it was. Sometimes you would do a little something to where, like, they knew that you knew that you was going to have to sit out for five minutes just so you could sit in that shade. So you so you throw the ball over the fence. You throw that ball on the fence. Time out over here. And you're like, thank gosh. <laughs> sit under that shade. Yes. <laughs> Time out's worth it. <laughs> Give me that ball again. I'm going to throw it back over there. <laughs> So I see why some of my kids act the way they do. And now that these memories are coming up. Now that these memories are coming up. But it, that, that shelter, that shelter changes, it would change your life. It, would, it literally shields you from the, from the heat. It would shield you from the rain. It would shield you from the wind. So when we say, you know, come wind, come rain, we're saying, Lord, you are the only shelter that I will seek. Can we have that type of commitment? Can we be like, okay, Lord, I, it, you know, it, it, this, it doesn't look like how church isn't going the way I want it to go. 
okay, well, what, uh, you're at a crossroads. What are you going to do? Are you going to, are you going to, with your own two hands, try to make it happen? Or are you going to say, okay, Lord, what's the process? You know, there was this one team a few years ago, they had this, they had this phrase called trust the process. And literally, that's, that's the anthem of the kingdom of God, trust the process. Even when you can't see it, trust the process. Even when you can't feel it, trust the process. Even when you don't know what's happened, the next step, anything, trust the process. Somebody say trust the process. process. See, our Christianity is what enables us to be fully ourselves. Fully ourselves. Fully ourselves. So watch this. What is it that defines you? Who or what establishes the parameters in your life? Who or what determines your identity? Who or what defines you? That's why we read verse 14, what we read. And you don't have to turn there, but literally Paul said, love obligates me to preach. He literally said, love obligates me to preach. And in the Greek, we've talked about it before, but in the Greek, that word preach, it's actually not this right here. It's not just this. Well, what, what you're seeing me, when he says love obligates me to preach in the Greek, can I, can I, can I tell you what it means? Can I tell you what it means? I think I heard Cohen say yeah, so we'll just go with that. But literally that word in the Greek, in this context, it, it literally means to, uh, to announce the good news, a.k.a. the gospel, to evangelize, and to show. Somebody say to show. To show. So to show the good news. So what Paul said, love obligates me to show the good news. So let's put it all together. Literally verse 14 read like this. It sounded like this. Love obligates me to show the good news to everyone, to those who are among the elite and to those who are among the outcasts, to those who are wise and educated, as well as to those who are foolish and unlearned. So therefore, it's not so much about you giving a five-point sermon to somebody. It's not so much about you knowing the right scriptures. It's not so much about you sitting down and doing debate. It's, it's about you showing the goodness of God. New Testament says that it's the goodness of God that leads men to what? Repentance, a renewal of their mind, a changing, a literal, not a, three sh- not a 360 shift, but a 180 turn to where they walk in a whole different path. But guess what? It's the goodness of God. So where, where do they see that goodness come from? It's the person you see in the mirror. It's a setup. You are supposed to be reflecting the goodness of God. Well, Lindsay, my life isn't perfect. That, that's not what he means. You can still reflect the goodness of God even in an imperfect life. You can still reflect the goodness of God even if you're single. You can still reflect the goodness of God even if you are having to raise your kids or even if you're working a job that you may not like. You can still reflect the goodness of God. What we talked about before, how do you reflect the goodness of God? You behold God. You're gazing upon him. And you're allowing him to change you into his image. Lindsay, how does he change us into his image? He does it by renewing our thoughts. By renewing our thoughts. Uh, last week, Kellen spent, Kellen spent three days with me. Out of school, he, he was with me three days. And you can tell he hung out with me those three days. Not because, we, not because we sat down and had lessons, but because he was with me. And any question he had, he would ask me. And his father would give him an answer. Hey, hey, daddy, why does, you know, we, we had to take, uh, we had to take uh, something back to Walmart. I said, uh, we got to go Walmart. What do we got to go Walmart for? Well, I need to go get a refund. What's a refund? I'm like, well, a refund is, and I explained it to him. Oh, okay. So when we got done, he's like, got the refund. I was like, yeah, we, we got the refund. 
And, you know, but up, up until that moment, I never heard him mention a refund, but he never heard that word refund. So therefore, he is experiencing something and he doesn't know what it is. So therefore, he's asking his father, hey, father, defined this right here. And now that I know it, I will forever remember it. Something that simple. That, that's what our life is supposed to look like in God. Hey, God, define this moment right here that I'm walking through. Define, define this Sunday at church. Define it for me. Explain it, explain it to me. He has no problem explaining things. He's not up in heaven like, ah, man, I, I guess I'll do it. I guess I'll tell him what it means. I guess I'll define it. No. The Bible says that if we ask him for wisdom and believe that he'll give it, then we'll receive it. But that's what walking with God looks like. I say, hey, hey, Lord, define this moment. Explain the parameters of it. That's what that word define means, to establish parameters or determine identity. Lord, identify what's going on in my life. Identify who the real friends are. Or identify where the people that need to be in this house, identify where they are and give me the, the, the right words to say or set up the right moments to where I can interact with them. Paul literally said that love obligates me to show. There's a reason that, uh, that you are a city set on a hill. There's a reason that you're a city set on a hill. There's a reason that you are a lamp set on a stand to get uh, to light up a dark room. There's a reason that you have been tasked to reconcile your friends and family and co-workers to God. There is a reason for that. You are to reflect the goodness of God. But we can't reflect the goodness of God if we don't know what defines us. If we, if we think that, okay, well, I'm the, you know, I, I am who I am because, you know, this is what was said about me in school growing up. Or I am what I am because this is what my family have always told me. I am what I am because this is what I've always known. This church is what it is because we've always done it this way. Versus what defines me is the love of God. Perfect love. Because perfect love is, it's, you know how perfect it is? How perfect is it? It casts out all fear. We sang it early. We set you up good. But Jesus is the one that makes the darkness tremble. Jesus makes the dark. You know what the darkness is? The darkness is, and we've talked about it before, but everywhere, everywhere that you don't feel God. We'll just sum it up that way. I could get super theological, but I'm not. The darkness is every moment in your life where you feel like you are alone, where you feel like you're by yourself, where you feel like you're the one that's having to do this, where you feel like you're having to put it on your back and you're having to carry, you're having to bear all this on your, that, those dark moments, Jesus makes those moments tremble. Well, Lindsay, what's so powerful about making them tremble? That means that he has the power to make the level of fear that you fear from them. If they're fearful of him, then guess what? That means they have no power. And Jesus makes those moments in our life tremble. Not just because he's like, hey, watch this. And he, no, he does it because that's who he is. And he wants to show us that, hey, what you truly need is me. Who you truly need is me. All you need is me. Come wind and come rain, I am the shelter. I am the one that leads you beside the still waters. I am the one that can restore your soul. I am the one that can lay you in the path of righteousness. I, in my name, like, I am the one that can, that can literally put you at the table of your enemies and you not get affected by them. Me. Me. And that, that's, that's one of his promises. That's, that's how he, that's, he's like, hey, I, I want to define you. I want to establish the parameters in your life. I want to set the expectations for you. But you have to choose to say, okay, God, I can't see you and feel you and understand you, but I'm going to allow you to define who I am. 
Listen, Paul fulfilled his life not because he was consumed with making sure he looked and sounded like his ethnicity. He wasn't consumed with sounding like he, you know, he had schooling. He wasn't consumed with looking like he had money. He wasn't consumed like looking like he had the best of roads and the cleanest donkey, I don't know, or the cleanest horse, you know. These ho- this horse got spinners on it, look at it. I mean, like, you know, this Cadillac horse, you know. He wasn't, he wasn't consumed with that. He fulfilled his life. The reason he fulfilled his life was not because he was consumed with how he looked to others, but he fulfilled his life because he allowed the love of God to determine his identity. He allowed only one thing to determine his identity, only one thing to establish rules and parameters in his life. He allowed only one thing to characterize and distinguish him. He only allowed one thing to define him, and that was perfect love, a.k.a. Jesus. Therefore, when it, comes to, when it comes to the person you see in the mirror, sometimes you may have to just look in the mirror, take a deep breath, and say, okay, Lord, who am I? Lord, show me who I am. Lord, show me who I am. Because, you know, unfortunately, you know, we, you, know you can read the best self-help, self-help books, and you can have this understanding. You can rely on the peers of everybody you want to, but at the end of the day, there's going to be that little bit of doubt that's going to creep in. And Jesus said that it only takes a little bit of leaven to, to ruin the whole loaf of bread. I remember, I, I, I have found that scripture to be true. There was a moment, I promise I'll end with this. There was a moment when I was in Cleveland, Tennessee, working at Little Caesars, and, you know, we made our own dough at the, at the thing. And there was one day where we was just in a hurry, we was short-staffed, and uh, they had trained me how to make the dough. And it sounds great, but actually it wasn't that fun of a process. You know, you just literally bits of stuff and then just, you know, kind of standing waiting for the machine to do it. And then, you know, then you got to put your, I, I can hear him now, put your back into it and you get the whole loaf and dump it on the table. But I remember one time I was in a hurry, I wasn't paying attention when I dumped the flour or when I dumped the bag into the uh, flour into the thing. Uh, there was like a, there's a few pieces of paper, just, you know, about maybe the size of your thumbnail that have fallen off into the dough. And y'all don't judge me. Y'all don't judge me. I was like, oh, it, it'll probably wash out. It'll probably wash out. You know, close the thing. You know, it spins the thing. And, you know, when it's done, ding, you know. So I opened the lid. And I'd never seen. I'd never. It, it, that wasn't bread. That was not bread. It was the, 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 it, it, the, the water and the flour and, the, and all that. It could not mix properly. And the batch was ruined because the paper was everywhere. Just the size of. The thumbnail, the page shreds of the paper were ever, I mean, split in multiple pieces just everywhere. And not only did we have to throw that batch away, we had to, had to scrape and clean the dough maker. Jesus said it only takes a little bit of doubt to ruin the whole loaf of bread. Only a little bit of leaven to ruin the whole loaf of bread. Only, only a little bit of, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know. I believe God, but, you know, I, I, I need to do it this way right here. Or we've always, you know, I, I know I know Pastor Lindsay has a vision, but, you know, we've always done it this way. So, I, you know, I'm just going to do it this way, and then, we'll, and then we'll take care of the rest. Or, you know, or I, I got these needs, but, you know, I, I, I don't know where God's at, so I'm just going to do it myself. It only, it only takes a little bit of you putting yourself in the driver's seat to crash the whole car. We said it last week, but it's either him or you. And last time I checked, my, I, I, I don't trust myself in this life to direct myself. To, I don't trust myself to be the best parent. I don't, there's nothing in me that has the strength to be the best type of dad or be the best type of spouse or be the best type of employee or just to hold my head up. Therefore, I have to say, okay, Lord, it's, you and the, it's either you or bus. You're all I want. 
You are what defines me. You are who defines me. You are the one that sets parameters in my life. Let me say this one point and we're done. Your life is a reflection of what you believe. At the end of the day, and that's a hard pill to swallow. It's for me too. Your life is a reflection of what you believe or who you believe. Well, Lindsay, uh, what, you know, what, what if my life isn't as good? No, now, when I say that, please, please, please don't fire shots at yourself. What I'm saying is <clears throat> when you're driving in a car, whatever direction you are looking, that's the direction the car is going. Your life reflects of who you believe yourself to be. If you, if you believe that you are defined by, the, by uh, how many zeros you have in the bank account, then you will work, worry, and strive and stress over trying to make ends meet. If you, are, if you believe you are defined by the opinions of your peers, or watch this, if you believe you're defined, if you believe that this church is defined by what other churches do or say, then you will live for their acceptance and die by their rejection. I'm going to say that again. If you believe that you are the sum total of what everybody else has to say about you, you will, you will live for their applause, but you'll die from their rejection. When they're not clapping you up, when they're not cheering you, when they're not calling you, when they're not saying, hey, let's go out to eat, then all of a sudden you'll feel something within you. like, oh. And it feels like you're slowly dying. It feels like you're slowly being put on the back burner. And that's because you've placed your parameters in them. You've placed your parameters in their opinions of you. You've, played, you've, given, them, you've given them the keys to say, hey, define my life. When really they don't deserve it. They're not worthy of it. If they can't go to the cross for you, then guess what? They are not worthy to define you. There's only one that could do that. If you believe that you are defined by everybody else, I'll say it again, you will live for their acceptance and die by their rejection. The fact that this ministry is, has done that at times, the fact that we have done that as Christians at times, we've allowed other people to define us. And then we wonder, okay, well, where's the results? Where, Lord, where's the shelter? Because the wind and rain's blowing, but why am I still getting affected? Unfortunately, we have robbed our Christianity of doing the work of the adjective. We don't let our faith form us and shape us like it should. Instead, we let this is the way we've always done it govern us. Or we let, you know, well, they do it this way. So listen, we, we allow that to govern us. We allow that to rule us. We allow that to reign in our lives. At the end of the day, what defines you, church? At the end of the day, who defines you? As, as, as much as I love my children, my children aren't fully who defines me because I was born before them. God didn't, you know, when God made me, he wasn't like, okay, in heaven, hey, Kellen and Kenny, what's your daddy? What, what do you want your daddy to be like? As much as I love my parents, he, when we were in heaven, he wasn't asking me, hey, what do you want your parents to be like when he created them? When he created you, he wasn't, the, he wasn't seeking the most brilliant person that you think is the most brilliant person. When he was creating you, he was looking at himself. He was looking at himself. Why? Because that was more than enough. So that means that you are more than enough. I don't care what life looks like. You are more than enough. Well, Lindsay, I, I have these needs. I got this, I got that. Yeah, you may have needs and that's okay. He's, he has promised that he will take care of those needs. But the only way that's going to happen is if you fully believe that you are more than enough. Not because of what you bring to the table. We say it all the time. But because of what he has brought to the table. You wasn't enough to go to the cross. That's why he went. And Hebrews 12, 2 says that for the joy of you, unending satisfaction, he endured it. 
unending satisfaction in you, he endured it. He endured all that he needed to be. So that's why I said earlier when I was praying to God, I was like, Lord, I'm, Lord, in this moment, I want to give up. In this moment, I want to quit. In this moment, I want to throw in the towel. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me, and I'm like, oh, Lord, you know what that's like. In the, in the worst part of your human life, you could have gave up. The Bible says that he could have called down legions of angels. Good thing it wasn't me. I've been on the cross. I'm like, first now, oh, yeah, we done. Yep, yep. Hey, come on. Come on, y'all, with the other hand. Come on. Come get me. Come get me. Take this nail out. This hurts. This hurts. This hurts. Oh, my God, this hurts. Oh, myself, it hurts. Instead, oh, my God, oh, myself, it hurts. Yeah, because Jesus was done. Ah! But instead, Jesus, the Bible says he was well, too. He endured it. So that, watch this. That meant that he felt it. He felt it and said, it's worth it. He felt it. And thinking of you, he said, it's worth it. I'm a, I need you to get that. He felt it. And thinking of you, he said, it's worth it. So church, that's the person that you should be allowing to define your life. Him. Him. What do you want your future to look like? Okay, say, then ask him. Don't, don't, don't go creating your own future. So, Because I'll be honest. If he knows all things, then he probably knows the things that you're going to try to do and it's going to waste your money, waste your time, waste your life. Instead, do the cheat code and say, okay, Lord, before, before I make a fool of myself, what does my future look like? What, where do I, what, what direction do I need to be going? And he will show you the different things that you need to avoid, the different hurt. But it takes moments of you just saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to let you define me. I'm going to let you define my marriage. I'm going to let you define who I am. I'm going to let you define my children. Even though they may get on my nerves, I'm going to let you define them. I'm going to trust you to define our relationship. I'm going to trust you to define this church. And watch this. It's not in that moment that he determines, you know, who we truly are. He determined it way before the foundations of the world. It's in that moment that we get out of the way and we have made space. And now he could come in, take up residence, and show us what has always been the truth. What's always been the truth, amen? What's always been the truth, amen? Every head bowed and every eye closed.